0: Good morning, everybody. Um, I'm Peter Weisberg, and this is Brian Williams. We're co-chairing this session. Welcome to you all. Um, the good news is both of us have to be out of this building by about uh, 20 past 10 at the very latest, which means this session is going to run on time. Uh, so I'm not going to spend any more time uh, on introductions, but go straight into the first talk, which is to be given by uh, Jodie Black from the NIH Initiatives. So good morning everybody. I'd like to thank the organizers for giving me this opportunity to tell you about some of the initiatives we've developed at the National Heart, Lung and Blood Institute which is part of the National Institutes of Health at the NIH that are designed to facilitate transitioning uh, benchside discoveries to the market. So I have a lot of slides and I'm going to run through them quickly but I'm going to allow the organizers to distribute them freely so I hope you use the material in them as a reference in the future. So we all have a, the same basic problem. We've got un, unmet patient needs, then we're trying to meet them. So at NHLBI, we're trying to create a translational research ecosystem that consists of the appropriate partnerships and alliances to be able to translate um, innovations from the bench to the market. And so before I tell you about what the initiatives are, I'd like to tell you just a little bit about the NIH. It's uh, located um, about 10 miles north of Washington, D.C., uh, which is the nation's capital of America. The uh, mission of the NIH is to seek the fundamental knowledge about the nature and behavior of living systems and the application of that knowledge to extend healthy life and reduce the burdens of disability. Um, The NIH is the the largest, actually, research funding uh, institution in the world. Our budget's about $30 billion, and 88% of that money goes back out to the academic community, both nationally and internationally. So folks in the international arena can apply for grants at the NIH. Um, the NIH is made up of about 27 different institutes and centers, they're, they're, the institutes and centers are divided up based on either disease or anatomy, so for example, the National Cancer Institute is the largest institute, which means it has the biggest budget, just shy of $5 billion. The second largest is the National Institutes for Allergy and Infectious Diseases, and the third is the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, which is where I work, but, and our budget's about $3 billion. So the way we've approached traditionally to meeting the mission of the NIH is to fund basic research, clinical testing, and training and career for the workforce uh, development programs. But, uh, we've, but we've been very uh, highly criticized by many people about being too slow to translate the fruits of those efforts into clinical applications that can benefit patients. So we've realized that we need to be able to figure out how to develop programs to, defil- to facilitate product development. And so that's what the NHLBI um, has done. So the main mechanism we have at the NIH for funding the commercialization side of the product development pipeline is our small business program, (laughs) which has two basic mechanisms. There's the SBIR, Small Business Innovation Research, that funds companies that are legally incorporated in the U.S. And the Small Business Technology Transfer, STTR, uh, mechanism, which is designed to translate Benchside discoveries to small businesses by matching up academicians with small business uh, principal investigators. So the way the programs are set up, if you look to the right side, the small business uh, the small business award goes directly to the small business, and 50% of the money needs to be 50% of the work needs to be done within the small business. And the PI is from the small business. With the STTR, it's divided up between the small business and the research performing institution, and either of those folks can be the PI. But in both cases, the money goes to the small business. It's a phased award, where we'll give you about $200,000 for a little less than a year to do, for seed money to do the very early proof of concept work and then if you're successful with that you can get a phase two award which is about a million and a half dollars over two years to do the research and development towards the commercialization phase which is phase three which is not funded by the NIH the intention of this program is to develop the technology so industry will pick it up but we know with biomedical technologies under $3 million in the course of about three years is just not enough time to meet and comply with regulatory requirements, and it's not enough money. So there's a gap in this, in this program that we're trying, that we've designed an initiative to fill. In addition to, um, to that gap, we, we at NHLBI knew that this program is a mandated set-aside. It's congressionally mandated. where part of the NIH research budget. It has to be spent only on small businesses. We can't spend it on anything else. And we knew two years ago that Congress was going to increase the required set-aside percentage. So for NHLBI, the the set-aside is about $80 million. It's not insignificant. We realized we had to to do a much better job of managing that program and using it to help meet our mission goals. The program's been traditionally managed by, by program officials at the NIH who are mostly PhD trained. They have no business experience. So as you can imagine, it wasn't managed very well. So we took a good hard look at this program and tried to figure out how to, how to develop uh, initiatives that would solve some of these gaps. So that one gap I told you about, one problem, is at the end of the phase two award, they're just they're just not ready for commercialization. They're too premature, they haven't met regulatory requirements, and they're still too risky. But in taking a good look at this program, we realized that there was an additional gap that was causing a problem in funding, and it was that gap between I'm a bench scientist and I made a discovery, and now what do I do? I have no idea how to start a business, and for that reason, I shouldn't. And the work that needs to be done to define the product is at this point not hypothesis-driven, so NIH doesn't like to fund that. So we developed programs to try to fill those two gaps to solve those four basic problems that are listed on the slide. The gap in funding between basic science discoveries, and the feasibility uh, studies that are needed to define the product. There's also a basic lack of knowledge and understanding by academic and small business researchers about what it actually takes to move a product to the market. There is a a significant lack of access to sufficient technology development and commercialization expertise (coughs) and resources, and there's insufficient time, as I explained, for small businesses to meet regulatory requirements. Plus, industry had just become (coughs) disinterested in helping to fund the very early stage uh, technology development components, because it it was just too risky. So the NHLBI created this Office of Translational Alliances and Coordination, and we've charged it with developing and uh, implementing initiatives that will enhance the translation of technologies from the bench to the market. And the four quadrants were designed to, to specifically feed into the SBIR program. So I'm going to go through each of those quadrants very quickly just to explain what kinds of activities go on there. So we've centralized the management of our SBIR program by, by uh, hiring folks who understand how to do business development and pairing them up with the scientific expertise so they can co-manage an initial award. We are also trying to educate our internal program staff about the virtues of using this kind of a mechanism to help meet the mission of the institute. Again, we're trying to change the culture internally and externally. Um, Some of the kinds of initiatives that are available for small business awardees include uh, instigator-initiated opportunities, and you can find out about those opportunities by looking at this annual SBRSTTR omnibus grant solicitation uh, at, at the link that's provided here below, there are three receipt dates. And so, although this is targeted, because this is an economic development program, it is restricted to U.S. companies. However, foreign entities can participate in these awards with U.S. companies if they bring unique, re- unique resources and expertise to the table. There are also a variety of institute-initiated and targeted announcements that use, um, that the institutes use to get very specific work done, either through a contract through our annual contract solicitation, or there's also opportunities to develop um, technologies that are being developed within our NIH intramural program. So NIH also has a big uh, intramural program where folks are funded to do science that, who don't have to compete for grant money. Those, those discoveries will sit on the shelf there because if you work for the federal government, you're not allowed to spin out a company. So we've created an opportunity through the SBIRTT program, the second one on, uh, under that uh, Institute Initiated uh, bullet, where uh, small businesses can, can take a look at the technologies that are available by looking at the TechFinder site, and then they can propose, um, they can propose to uh, submit a grant to develop further that technology. And if you're a small business that's under 50 people and less than five years old, the NIH Office of Technology Transfer will give you an exclusive license to develop that technology. There's a myriad of other targeted grant funding opportunities that many of the institutes besides NHLBI will put out every year, and you can find out what they are by looking at the NIH guide. If you want to find out specifically what NHLBI is doing, you can review the second link below, or you can follow us on Twitter. We'll tell you what we're up to. So, as I mentioned, uh, the, the phase, the SBIR award is a phase program and the, the program that we've developed to try to bridge that gap between the phase two and the commercialization phase is called the SBIR phase 2B bridge award and that's designed to um, bring in applicants with a commercial, with a, with a strategic partner. So we'll give you a million dollars a year if you're a successful phase two awardee, we'll give you an additional million dollars a year for three years if you come in with a strategic partner who matches the amount of funding that you get from the federal government. And we know that if you come in with somebody who puts a penny of their of their money on the table, before they ever agree to do that, they're going to do their own due diligence, then they get the comfort of, of, of having a company that's made it through the uh, SBIR peer review process at the NIH. And so if an award is granted for those two folks, we know that the strategic partner will also bring very stringent project management skills to the table in a way that NIH could never do. So this is a risk-sharing program where we, where we believe that at the end of the day, the folks who have the strategic partner with skin in the game will ensure that the technology is developed in a way that would make it attractive for either them to pick it up and take it further to commercialization or for another investor to, to bring it to, to market. And we realized in the small market arena and the rare disease community and pediatric indications it's going to be very difficult for those companies to come in with a one-to-one match. So we created a a partner program called the Small Market Award that basically has the same basic requirements, except we've lowered the matching requirements to um, one-third of the federal investment. And we've also brought in expertise within this new OTAC office that is outside the scope of standard grants management, including regulatory and business development expertise. And those folks help with commercialization readiness, pitch coaching, intellectual property strategies, and we've brought on board an entrepreneur in residence who is available to our awardees in the community. And the folks are listed on this slide and all of their contact information. Um, pay uh, attention to Kurt Merrick, if you want to know anything about the SBR program, I would contact him. Chris Sassiella is a regulatory strategist. She's RAC certified. She was at the FDR for a while and she understands how to navigate those waters. (laughs) Ram Iyer is our entrepreneur in residence. He understands business development. And we've had an advisor working with us for the past three years as we were setting up this office. He's a serial entrepreneur and an angel investor. So he's been there, done that, and understands how to navigate the um, how do I find extra funding waters. And we're in the market for a business development specialist. So, I've told you about the SBIR strategic initiatives that we've developed. Our flagship initiative is the Centers for Accelerated Innovation, and that one is targeted towards bridging the gap between benchside discoveries and what do I do next. And the technology transfer offices in most academic institutions in the U.S. just aren't equipped to help facilitate that movement. They don't have the funding, and they often don't have the right expertise. So the goal of this program is to improve across the nation how basic science advances and discoveries are translated to patient benefit. Um, And strategies that we're using to accomplish this goal is by testing different kinds of models. We're trying to ensure that a diversity of technologies are developed so therapeutics, diagnostics, devices, and tools are acceptable in this program. Our goal is to develop and disseminate best practices for the widest possible adoption. And we funded centers that we believe would have the greatest chance of success, both during the funding period and afterwards. The applicants who came in for this award had to have a sustainability plan because we know we can't fund them forever. So I'm just going to describe to you in a little more detail how this, uh, this uh, program was designed to work. And I want to mention that we developed this program with the, got- with the help and guidance of a community of external stakeholders who span the spectrum from bench side investigator to venture capitalist and all the folks in between. So the way it works is research forming institutions have technologies that need to be developed and the, in- the center will develop the, the technology the innovator and the team, and a commercially viable and validated business uh, model through an an iterative and bilateral development process through those ovals at the bottom. So so the way we envision it working is the research institute, through through an agreement with the center, will have technology solicited from it, selected based on medical, scientific, and business review for those that are accepted They'll enter the center, they'll be given money from the grant to do the the product definition studies that are required. But we know that we're we're not going to be able to give these folks enough money, especially for therapeutics development, to de-risk it sufficiently. So this is also a matching program. The applicants were required to come in with at least a one-to-one match. So they'll get additional capital from from us and from from their strategic partners. And the technology will then be developed with a team who understands How to develop the technology so it meets business development requirements, regulatory requirements, IP requirements, product development, et cetera. All using very stringent project management processes with predetermined milestones. So that at any point it becomes clear that the development's not going to meet its milestones. The fast kill philosophy is in place here and we expect failure and we expect to learn from it. There's also an education and skills development component that was required so that academic investigators get hands-on mentoring and exposure to entrepreneurial training so that they'll understand what it takes to move something into the commercial market. And hopefully in the future they might start thinking about how to design their basic science experiments to meet some of these needs. So the goal is to to develop this technology to the point where it's able to attract the next level of independent financing and either license it out or start a new company. And we plan to make the resources available in the federal government at no charge to the the center's community so that uh, 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 new innovations that result from investigator-initiated or institute-initiated programs can move into this center, bilaterally leverage these other resources. For example, the NHLBI has a program called SMART that provides for at no cost to the investigator preclinical drug development resources, like they'll do toxicology, formulation for therapeutics and biologics. We have a similar program for gene therapy and another one for cell therapy. There are several other programs within the NIH that provide some other kinds of resources in a a disease agnostic way. We've also had on board from the beginning of this program development, the FDA, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, which sits in the Department of Commerce, and the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, our payers, so that they were part of the program development and they'll be part of the program committee helping the investigators understand how to think about regulatory strategy and, pay and reimbursement strategies. But this also gives those folks a look into what's coming down the pike so they can be prepared for the research, for the kind of technologies of the future that they'll need to develop regulatory and reimbursement thoughts about. So at the end of the day, these de-risk technologies will move out to, and be licensed to existing for-profits or not-for-profits. If the goal is to spin out a new company, then we hope that this will be, a, a, since it's gone through this rigorous development process, a well-developed company with a, with a solid business plan, a regulatory strategy in place, and a clear understanding of its intellectual property. So we'll get more meritorious SBIR applications from companies that are, that are going to be more sustainable. So the benefits of this program will be to accelerate the translation of basic science advances to patient benefit, there will also a myriad of economic benefits, new company formation, there will be licensing opportunities, enhanced public-private partnerships, we're training the workforce. It also will encourage a cultural change at the at research institutions to start understanding how to and being invested in uh, commercializing their innovations. We also will, will be setting best practices for translation for health, societal, and economic benefit. So this program has been awarded in September. It's a brand new program. We set aside $31.5 million over seven years to these three organizations in Boston, Ohio, and the University of California system. That money is about half of what we hoped we were going to be able to put aside. But because of the sequester and other budget cuts, that's the best we could do. So we asked the awardees to come in with as much matching funds as they can. But we're in the pro- we are also in the process of trying to figure out how we can help them get more of those matching funds, and we're working very actively on, on that goal. So the, which brings me to the last part of the responsibilities for this OTEC office is outreach and partnership. So we've developed a couple of initiatives to try to facilitate matching up our awardees with potential strategic partners. One of them is, is um, what we're calling regional innovation conferences. We st- started doing this last year, and we've conducted about three of them so far. We will take our SBR companies in a particular region, have them compete to, to uh, pitch to a pool of investors. Then we, do, we, give them, uh, we take the top ten, give them pitch coaching, and then put them in a room full of potential investors, and we have them pitch to them. We've, we've just started this, so I don't have outcome information for you yet, but there have been a lot of successful interactions between our SBR companies and uh, potential strategic partners. And we're hoping to set the stage for them to come in for an SBR Phase 2B Bridge Award. Um, we're also developing a web, uh, a partnering portal, and this is—it's in its infancy. This is a very, uh, sk- uh, this is a mock-up of what it's supposed to look like. But the intention is to put information in about all of our companies and let investors put in information about who they are and what they're looking for, and allow them through a variety of filtering mechanisms to find each other. For example, angel investors tend to be very locally focused, so they might want to look at for companies only in Michigan, or they, there are certain investors who are very disease-focused, and they might only be interested in COPD. So all those. All- All those allowances will be able to happen within this uh, partnering portal. We're also using uh, social media to try to do outreach, so again, if you'd like, you can follow us on Twitter. So Alexandra asked me to talk about different kinds of funding mechanisms at at NIH and I just want to, I bring this up because I want the community to know that we develop other programs based on community input and need. And we structure them the way the community intends, says that they will work. So a couple of examples for device development. One is a, a, a pumps for Kids, Infants, and Neonate Pumpkin. We started this program in 2004. It was, t- it was uh, started to develop circulatory support devices for infants and young children with congenital and acquired cardiovascular disease. In 2004, we started funding just actually putting together the devices. Then we, 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 start, we set up another funding mechanism to help them get through. The preclinical testing in animal models phase, and now we're at the point where we're, we're we've got a, we're helping them through funding mechanisms to conduct clinical trials to provide evidence that'll contribute to a humanitarian device exemption. So we've taken them through from putting the putting the devices together all the way through to to clinical trials. Another program is the translational programs of excellence in nanotechnology where um, we are creating interdisciplinary teams from the biological, physical, chemical, and uh, clinical sciences that includes both academia and industry, and we're bringing them together and asking them to develop nanotechnology-based tools for detection and treatment of heart, lung, blood, and sleep disorders. There's also a required education component for this program so that investigators come out of this program who are capable of applying these nanotech solutions to heart, lung, blood, and sleep problems. There's other ways to find out uh, what NIH is interested in funding. If you subscribe to the NIH guide, and I I suggest that you do that, you can do that using this link, you'll learn about all the funding opportunities that are available across the entire NIH. And there's a lot of information on these websites about how to apply for an NIH grant and and tips and tricks. Plus, there's a bunch of other institutes that uh, provide funding for devices. One of them is the National Institute for Biomedical Imaging and Bioengineering. And then there's the new National Center for Advancing Translational Research. They're interested in figuring out how to increase the efficiencies of technology development processes. They're very drug-focused right now, but part of their mission is to move into the device arena. So what I've tried to show you is that we've created this ecosystem of resources and funding opportunities that support our, our commercialization uh, mechanism, the NHLBI, the, the SBIR/STTR program, that includes all of the stakeholders from... from from, uh, from patients, investigators, and, and society, so that using this NHLBI, SBR, STTR ecosystem, we can help uh, actually meet patient needs. So thank you for your attention, and if you want to contact me, there's my contact information. Thank you. Thank you. We're already sort of running against time, so any, any urgent questions now before we have discussion? John? Very briefly tell us about any funds available that might be useful for the Yale CONAP project, if you spoke with this whereby the UK might put money into a project and the NIH might put money into a project. So device So those kinds of programs are usually developed intentionally using a group of folks from both sides of the of the coin and the NIH to figure out how to get that done. So if that's something that would that would be of interest, you know, I'm happy to figure out how to get the right people in the room to figure out how to develop one of the initiatives like Pumpkin or the trend or, or, or T-Pen. That's how those things are done. We have a long process that has to go through with council, but it is, it is possible. Yep. Uh, to apply for from UK, do we need to have a, um, a US collaborator or something so it depends. So the gold standard R01 funding mechanism is open to the world. You don't need a U.S. collaborator for that. If you're looking at a targeted initiative from the NIH guy, they all tell you whether or not you can be a foreign entity. Some, some you can and some you can't. So you have to look closely. Okay, last question. For phase three, do you need to be phase one, phase two? Uh, So, phase three funding is uh, outside of the NIH for the SBIR, but for the Bridge Award, you had to have had a successful phase two award, but it doesn't have to be from NIH. It can be from any federal agency, as long as it's within the NIH mission. I mean, the NIH mission, and for us, the NHLBI mission. Thank you very much.